<laughs> Jeremy Pena has set the stage here for Jordan Alvarez, one of the most feared hitters in the game. Representing the winning run for the Astros. And Alvarez belts it! Deep to right field! Gives it goodbye! Unbelievable! The Astros a walk-off win! Jordan Alvarez, a walk-off three-run homer! And the Astros stun the Mariners in game one of the division series! Incredible! Entertainment capital of the world. Center cut curveball, but it was nasty. It's the TC Martin Show. Verlander deals a 3-2. And a cold strike three. TC Martin. And now the Astros with a runner at first for Alex Bregman. And Bregman sends one deep in the left center field. This is way back. And it is gone. Alex Bregman gets the Astros off the deck. It's time to get your daily prescription from the strikeout number nine the doctor is now in glad to have you with us here on a thunderous thursday edition of the tc martin show yes plenty of football to talk about today and we're gonna touch some baseball right off the show that astros open yeah i was hoping to be part of that again this year but not the case and the baseball news of the day the press conference from the good friend dusty baker at Minute Maid Park, along with owner Jim Crane of the Astros, Dana Brown, the first-year GM with the Astros, as uh, Dusty met with the media and basically said his goodbyes uh, earlier today. So we'll uh, talk about that here on the show today. Plus, we got Monday Night Football coming your way tonight. Buffalo and Tampa Bay. Can the Buffalo Bills turn things around? Losers of two of their last three games. We will take you live to Buffalo and our guy. On the scene, T.J. Reeves, who's part of the broadcast team with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, He'll give us a live report here coming up this hour, so hang tight for that. And then Barry Odom will join us, the UNLV head football coach, the Rebels 6-1. and Been playing some fantastic football, coming off a big, thrilling victory last Saturday at Allegiant Stadium, where the Rebels defeated Colorado State on a uh, final field goal with three seconds left to play. And uh, the Rebels come from behind to win that game. So uh, great stuff with that. Also uh, on the show, Scott Spritzer will join us today as he customarily does on Thursdays as we start previewing the college docket on Saturday, NFL selections on Sunday. Plus, of course, we got World Series to handicap and talk about with that. And, of course, uh, World Series Game 1 taking place tomorrow night. So busy, busy weekend. And I don't have to be anywhere this weekend. I'm loving that. Think about that. UNLV on the road. Raiders on the road. Um, what else am I thinking? Um, no aces. No aces. We're, we're, we're done. I can exhale with all of that stuff. And uh, that means I get some chill time to watch a lot of television, a lot of football, World Series, uh, we'll see. Now, do you have to yeah. catch up on on but, any old shows? No, I'm pretty caught up on my on my shows no? from, from TC's TV time. Okay, yeah, I'm okay with that. So, uh, yeah, I'll find some time to go enjoy some some good chicken, maybe a steak. There we go. It's all about the food. I'm looking forward to a chill weekend where I don't have to be anywhere. Think about that. You're gonna. I, go, I, I have no sports to cover this weekend. Isn't that great? You're gonna go out for dinner. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'll go to dinner, of course. Yeah. So but that's not a chill. That that's you still have to go out for dinner. But to me, that's chill. Okay, I get to you know kick back, I get to relax, you know, eat well. That's what I'm talking about. You know, ha- visit with some friends, good company, all that stuff. Get caught, get caught up. Feels good. I don't know. What are you doing? You're sitting there zipping your mouth. What you you want to say something? You need to say something. No, probably a good idea that you don't say anything. I don't even know where you're going with that. All right. So, yeah, we'll uh, we'll talk to, to Barry Odom today. Might have B-Sal join us today, too. Brian Salmon. You know, all things Vegas. We'll talk with him. All right. So we've got uh, plenty on tap today. I want to start, though, talking about Dusty Baker and the press conference today. Now, we touched upon this on the show yesterday. And... Uh, before it was like really official. Bob Nightingale, I know he was the first to report it, and, and Bob came on the show yesterday. So uh, we talked about that. Bob has known Dusty almost as long as I've known him. So that's one of our common themes and interests that uh, Bob Nightingale, the fine esteemed writer from USA Today, has. So, you know, we got Bob's thoughts about that yesterday. And Bob talked about that, you know, that, that Dusty had talked about this going back in the wintertime and in pretty much had his mind made up pretty much throughout the year. Um, I think for me knew it was going to be a reality come second half of the baseball season. Yeah. I talked about it in the off season, but he wanted to run it back. There was no question whether he's going to come back or not after winning the world series last year. So wanted to run it back. But then as things started to unfold this year, the Astros still had a great season, but remember of the 162 games, the Astros were in first place for only three. And there were some rumblings and some articles and um, fan feedback that was going on in Houston, I would say, from right after the All-Star break. And I don't think he took too kindly to that. And again, he kept it under, under wraps and under his sleeve for uh, a long time. And just wanted to see how this thing was gonna gonna play out for the rest of this year. Astros ended up, you know, finishing strong. They ended up getting the number two overall seed. They won the division on the tiebreaker as they dominated the Rangers during the course of the regular season. And everything kind of felt like last year all over again, especially when Justin Verlander returned. I think then there was the energy was there again. And um but then they were having problems winning games at home in the playoffs. They're fantastic on the road. They swept Texas in Texas and Arlington in games three, four, and five, and they needed to win one of two games, and they didn't get it done, and they got outscored. You know, Texas put 20 runs on the board at Minute Maid Park in games six and seven. So that didn't sit, you know, too well. And I think it just, you know, it became time to, you know, okay, Maybe it's it, it's time to leave this situation. Uh, press conference today. He got a chance uh, to say his piece. Uh, Jim Crane was always courteous. I've talked about that before. You know, Jim Crane uh, did a marvelous job when he decided to hire Dusty in 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic or at the beginning of the pandemic. And I've shared that story that I was – with Dusty a lot during that off season, uh, during the pandemic and, 
and with the delay of the season and all that kind of stuff. And it was a tough decision for him whether to take that job or not, knowing all the scrutiny he'd get. But again, the perfect guy to take over the Houston Astros in that situation. But uh, so today he officially calls it a career with the Houston Astros. And I want to be very clear about that because Dusty Baker is not done in the game of baseball. You see a lot of reports out there and people say, oh, oh, Dusty Baker has retired. He's retired for managing the Houston Astros. More than likely, yes, 90%, he is done managing, but he's not done with baseball. And I think that's that that's key. He still feels that he has a lot to give in Major League Baseball. He's one of the most fiery competitors I've ever known. And I love that about him and that spirit. From the human side, I've said it over and over, and anyone who knows him, just one of the most gracious and giving human beings on the planet. Just just a great man altogether. And the behind-the-scenes stuff that a lot of the public doesn't see, uh, and that's what sickens me. That's why I defend him so much, because when, when people talk about managerial moves and, and that sort of thing, they have no idea what kind of person that he is. So I'm happy for him today because he is finally getting a chance to go out on his own terms. And what I mean by that is when he managed San Francisco, he didn't get a chance to go out on his own terms. All right. When he was let go by the Chicago Cubs, he was let go and didn't get a chance to go on his own terms. Then there was a gap and he went over to Cincinnati. He didn't get a chance to go out on his own terms with Cincinnati. Then there were years went by, didn't know if he's going to manage again. Then the Washington Nationals reached out to him, and he was there for two seasons, had a great run there, and again, near World Series runs with him, and he didn't get a chance to go out the way he wanted to. So then he thought it was over. And then when Jim Crane called him after he fired A.J. Hinch and left now their general manager, and they said, hey, we need to clean this up, there was no better person for that job than Dusty Baker, and nobody could have done the job. I don't know if the Houston Astros, I really doubt that the Houston Astros, as talented as they were from a team perspective, that they would have gone to the ALCS, you know, in the last four years, going to the World Series, you know, two of the last three years and winning division titles again. Wouldn't have happened without Dusty Baker. No question about it. So very glad he got that opportunity with Houston. He was grateful for it. Here's his thoughts today about wrapping up his time the last four years in Houston. It was uh, probably the quickest four years I've ever spent in my life. Um, but that's what happens when you're winning, you know, and when you're losing. Um, it can be the longest three or four years. It feel like a decade uh, in a short period of time. And uh, this is what this organization was about. They were winning when I got here. Um they were winning while I was here, and uh, I, I wish them uh, well uh, after I leave. And uh, I've been a number of places, <clears throat> and uh, the one thing that I try to do, uh, very conscious of, is that the is that the place I'm leaving from is in better sh- shape and condition than when I got there. And uh, I, I hope that you know we're in better shape uh, now than when I got here. Uh, even though we were in great shape then. And um, I want to 
really thank uh, you know Jim Crane for you know having the faith in me, um, and you know this happened in a short period of time. I mean, uh, this is as quick a, a hiring and getting to work as I've ever uh, been. But I I love uh, this town. I've always loved this town. Um, I love my players, um, the training staff. Uh, you know, the the guys upstairs helped us out tremendously. Um, <clears throat> you know, to prepare us for each and every uh, game. Um, but you know the players play and coaches coach, and without the players um, performing the way they did, uh, you know there's no way that we could achieve this excellence for for such a um, you know a long period of time. So uh, I just want to say thank you. Uh, um, you know, retiring from from the field here in Houston, I haven't made up my mind yet what I'm what I'm going to do or where I'm going to go. First, I'm going to go home talk to. My, my daughter to think that she's my mother and um, uh, spend some time with my grandkids and, and, and let the Lord tell me where to go and and what to do, you know, with my life. And uh, I still feel like I haven't done what I'm supposed to do in life. So I feel the Lord has some great things uh, ahead for me. I think that is some great sound there for people who don't know him. Very faith-filled man, very family-oriented man. And again, you know, a lot of people say, well, that's the nature of the business. Who cares? You know, he hadn't been home since February 10th. And again, he's got two grandchildren that he hadn't seen. Uh, he talks about his hunting dogs. He hasn't seen them. Um, don't even know his name. They're, they're new dogs. And uh, this is a guy is, you know, so in tune to family. Um, he lost his mother. She passed away going back a year, year and a half now. And father is already deceased. So, again, a guy that still has plenty left in the tank at 74 years old. Looks, acts, feels nothing like 74 years old. And he could continue. If he wanted to, he could continue. But with Houston, I, I think that he just felt that there was a guy waiting in the wings. Bench coach Joe Espada was there. He's kind of like the um, the manager in waiting. Um, everything pretty much went fine. It was a first-year GM this year. Things were okay. But um, I just think that, you know, you have to feel the need to be wanted sometimes. And if you don't come back and say, hey, I'm going to offer you this extension in the beginning of the season, or at least midway through the season. And if you don't do that, I think he gets fed up with that at this point in time because he's been dealing with a lot of one-year contracts because a lot of people have held his age against him, going back to Washington and then, you know, in Houston. Even though Houston embraced him, Jim Crane had no problem, you know, uh, extending him during these, these four years. And it's been a great four years in Houston. Uh as you know, I got a chance to spend a lot of time in Houston, not only with Dusty, but the people around in that organization. And it was a good situation. And they're built to win. Did a fantastic job. He was very much appreciated by the players. They loved him. I mean, there is no better players manager than Dusty Baker. The front office and the fans just adored him. And again, taking over that situation cannot 
be emphasized enough how difficult it was. You're talking about a three-time manager of the year, 1993, 1997, in 2000. Over 4,000 games managed. Won 2,183 times in 26 seasons as a manager. And guided five different teams to division titles. Just unheard of. And I'll throw this stat at you. And this will blow you away. For a guy that's been in the in baseball for 54 years. Dusty Baker was involved in 3% of all baseball games in the history, in the 150-year history of baseball. He was involved as a player or a manager in 3% of all the games. I saw that stat yesterday, and I was like, that is insane. (laughs) Uh, amazing. I mean, you can't say that about anybody else in any other sport. I wonder I what the believe. I wonder what the next lo- or what the next highest is. I don't know. I don't know. But uh special. But again, I'm very very happy. Very very happy for him cuz he got to go out at least from this chapter of his life on his own terms. He's not done with baseball. Um there are some front offices that are talking to him and would probably love to have him. He's going to take his time. Obviously he wants to see his son play, see Darren play. He hasn't get, got a chance to do that. He got a chance to see him play. I don't want to say quite a bit, but when his time when he was at Cal, those years in between Washington and Houston, we didn't know if he'd get another shot, but he was grateful he got the shot and did a fantastic job with that. All right. So uh, we'll hear more about Dusty Baker coming up down the road. All right. We talk a lot of football, like we mentioned on the show here today. Uh, very intriguing Thursday night football game. You know, I'm not much for Thursday night football, but tonight's a pretty important game for both teams. Both teams coming off losses and both teams kind of fighting for the playoff lives, even though that we're not even in the, the midway uh, part yet. But uh, we go out to B- Buffalo tonight. For the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Buffalo Bills and our man on the scene, they're in Go Go Buffalo. Like I say, the home of Rick James, our very own super freak, TJ Reeves, the Bucks sideline reporter. What's going on, my man? How in the world is the doctor good to be on with you in the desert? And if you had on the over-under of the number of birds being flipped by the Bills Mafia at the Buccaneer buses <laughs> at under seven and a half, you were a loser, my friend. We just pulled in. Uh, Bill's Mafia is already primed three hours before the game, and we're looking forward to whatever's about to happen here in a few hours between the Buccaneers and the Bills. So what is about to happen? That's what I want to know. Let's start with Tampa Bay. All right. So coming off losses to Detroit and Atlanta in successive weeks here, what's it going to take, man, to get this thing turned around uh, tonight? That is the million-dollar question. If you had that answer, you could probably sell it for seven figures right now because they have struggled, especially in the red zone, Doctor. And uh, this has been a recent thing because really the first four or five games of the season, very good at getting touchdowns, especially once you got goal to go. And it's kind of ground to a halt, obviously, against the Lions with six points and then last week with only 13 points. Just not, a, not enough. And both of those games at home, and you got a Buffalo team that's been equally as slow starting in the first half, not able to put points on the board, including last week against awful New England and the Giants the previous week. They, could, they couldn't score in the first half of those games. So 
I'm always looking out for you. This might be a first half under right now here tonight. You might have to lean that way. I don't know. I don't know if the underovers are combined eleven points tonight, but it's been tough on the Buccaneers to convert for seven. Some of that's on Baker Mayfield. Some of it is you're you're now uh, you've got four or five games on tape going into last week. You had five games on tape, so people have seen what you're doing in the red zone calls. You have to adjust to the adjustment. We'll see if it's better tonight on the short week as the as the Bucks have rolled in here on short notice to play the Bills. Let's talk about the injuries because obviously that, that's a big concern. And we're hearing that Vita Vea, who takes up all that space on the defensive line, makes it so tough for teams to run against that Bucks front when he is there. But when he's not, then that's a, a gapping hole that, it, that is wide open there. What is his injury status? Because we heard game time decision. Yes, that is correct. And I was just near him just a second ago. And uh, well, if you were near him, TJ like, Reeves, we would not see you. I'll tell you that. Well, yeah, he, he does. He does block everything out. Yes, that is that is breaking news. Nicely done, Numchuck. But uh, I was near him a little while ago. They're going to work him out again. He has been bothered by a couple of injuries. He had a foot injury, and then last week didn't play much in the second half with a groin injury. And it's significant because he's the best defensive tackle they have. He is a force in the middle and somebody that can stop the run. The Bills haven't been able to run it very much at all. But, I mean, at this point, uh, you wonder on just uh, three and a half days' notice after the previous game, how effective can he be even if he is active? So they're going to work him out here in a little while, and we'll see if the if the Bucks' big-time defensive tackle can go in this one. Uh, they have one other injury to the offensive line. The left guard, Matt Filer, has... A leg injury, he came to this team as a free agent from the Chargers. He's not able to play. So a new left guard tonight for the Buccaneers on an offensive line that has really struggled to get push and to, and to run the ball. So those are the those are really the only two significant injuries. I know Baker Mayfield was on the injury report. He's playing tonight. He's a gamer. He's playing tonight, Doctor. Yeah, and then, of course, you know Ryan Jensen, they've been without their, their starting center all season long pretty much, right? So uh, let's, let's don't forget that because, you know, when you don't you – know, there is a drop-off, you know, with uh, the guy who's snapping the ball to Baker Mayfield as well. So, yeah, the importance of, of all of those guys is, is huge. And like you said – you know, heard that Mayfield uh, was injured. Uh, TJ, how, how do you grade his performance? We talked uh, about him with you at the beginning of the season, but really haven't touched upon him over the last couple games in those losses where, like you said, against defenses, they really should have, I don't want to say shredded, but, but should have put more points on the board, and they really couldn't do that, What losing a 13-10 to game against Atlanta last week. How are you grading Mayfield right now? He was he was much better, obviously, in the three and one start before the bye week than what he's been the last couple of weeks. And by his own admission, he's missed some throws in the Lions game and in the Falcons game, and he's missed some open receivers by not even seeing them, not not staying with the read to see them, or not finding Rashad White the back out of the backfield. There were about five occasions last week where Rashad White is there, he's open, and Mayfield elected not to go to it elected not to try the outlet or the, the check down pass and instead was looking for something downfield, took a sack, had to throw it away. Uh, his interception in the fourth quarter late in the game, White's wide open in the flat. There's going to be at least a five-yard gain or a 10-yard gain. Instead, he throws a pick. So I, I think that was probably emphasized on the short week, too. Sometimes take what is there. Brady was an expert at that. Uh, and, and others, Drew Brees, uh, in the in the recent times, uh, tremendous at that. Patrick Mahomes has gotten better at that as well. Take what's there sometimes as opposed to just gunning something down the field that goes incomplete and then you're off and punting. So 
Uh, let's see if he's a little better because again, in the two, here's the encouragement in the two road games at Minnesota and at New Orleans, hostile, loud crowd. He had, he was composed. He handled both of those situations, multiple touchdowns in both the games. The Buccaneers were able to move the ball, capitalize in the red zone. They had three red zone touchdowns in New Orleans in the loud environment. So that's part of the hope tonight that he will be better on the road and you get back in the win column. TJ Reeves is live in Buffalo Orchard Park at the stadium getting ready for the Bucks and the Bills. And they'll kick it off here. Oh, in exactly about uh, three hours uh, from now. So you mentioned the short week here. You're playing on a Sunday. You come back and you got to play Thursday and not an easy road trip, even though you're still in the Eastern time zone coming from Tampa, Florida to, you know, up to, to Buffalo and Orchard Park and everything. Are you able to, to gauge how this affects, you know, teams and let's just say specifically the Tampa Bay Buccaneers about having to do this? And because no one likes to play in these Thursday night games. And especially if you're coming off losses, especially if you've got injuries and now you got to go on the road. Just talk about what that dynamic is for this team and what it's been like the last 72 hours or so. Well, and that's, that's the challenge for the road team in particular. Now, what's interesting is the Bills were on the road Sunday, so they had to scramble back. And, um, and, and it's easier for them because they're here. They didn't travel yesterday, but. Uh, the road, you know, the road teams do have a tougher challenge and the NFL does do a good job of, of varying it up. For example, we were the home team a year ago against Baltimore. Didn't work out. Lamar and the Ravens still beat Brady in the Bucks. Two years ago, we were the road team against, uh, Philadelphia in that one, uh, and won the game where Brady was tremendous on the Thursday night. So they do try to alternate it. And for right now, let's just see. Uh, what's going to end up happening tonight with how the Bucks look. Do they look sharper at the beginning of this game? You know, if not, I guess some of that can be blamed on the travel and on and on Thursday night. The real concern is injury. Like for example, the Bucks lost Shaq Barrett um, last last year on the Thursday night game. Their best pass rusher, their Pro Bowl pass rusher for the year, on an Achilles injury, and he believes, and they believe that a lot of it was attributed to he was right back playing and pushing four days later and hurt that Achilles. So you, you hope for, you know, health and not serious injuries, but they do tend to crop up at times on these, on these Thursday night games. And of course, that's been part of the argument for fans and observers that the football has not been as good on Thursday night, that a lot of times it's been sloppy. Some of it has been better this year, but by and large, large sample size, a lot of these games, doctor, as you know, turnovers, poor play, et cetera. So let's see if it's better tonight for the Buccaneers and the Bills. All right, let's talk about Buffalo here real quick. I mean, you mentioned the slow starts and uh, scoring 10 points in the last couple games in the first half. They're back at home, and we know one thing. The Bills are much better at home. Josh Allen has been fantastic at, at home. I believe nine touchdown passes, only one INT. I fully expect the Bills to get off to a good start tonight, especially coming off uh, you know, the, the lackluster performance against New England. Again, two out of the last three losses. I expect a huge bounce-back game for Buffalo. And uh, give me your thoughts about the scouting report and you know what your side is looking at with these Bills. Are you trying to put me in a bad mood? For like about four or five hours later tonight, six hours later tonight. When I'm, doing I'm the just pre- I'm just prepping you, not at all, my friend. I mean, this, all, this, all this I is the way is, I handicap all, it. All, all I know is they are at home, but they have been equally as shaky scoring points, yeah. starting in England with the Jaguars and then against the Giants, uh, which was here at home, and uh, through the first three quarters against New England, they've had trouble running the ball against anybody, and other than Diggs. 
He's uh, he's had trouble finding anybody down the field. Dawson Knox, by the way, the tight end for Buffalo, injured wrist. He's out for this game and probably out for the short term for them. So let's just see if Buffalo's offense is any better and if the Buccaneers can maybe start making some plays. I'll tell you who's been playing at a very high level is the Buccaneers Pro Bowl uh, linebacker Levante David. Double-digit tackles each of the last couple of weeks. He's having a tremendous start to the season. Uh, you know, In the Detroit game, double-digit tackles, two tackles for loss, a sack, a pass defended. Uh, you know, last week again, double digit tackles had another sack in that game. So let's see if 54 in white tonight, Levante David comes up with a big play or two maybe in this game to help the Buccaneers, who've been good at taking the ball away. They got three more takeaways last week. They just could not take advantage of them. Let's see if they can coax Josh Allen into a takeaway or two coming up. All right, TJ. Uh, do you have any breaking news for us? You know how this Thursday night football is, and it drives me nuts. Are we doing color rush uniforms? Are we doing something out of the norm? Are we going to have regular uniforms tonight? Are the Bills wearing the blue with the white pants? And are your Buccaneers, you know, wearing the white? Are we going creamsicle? What's give us the latest? I do not have the official breaking news update ah. on the uniforms. I've not seen that yet, but I do believe Buccaneers will be in the white with the pewter. I don't know if the if the Bills will have the red jerseys on no. or go I think all red. Scrap- those after last time they, I will, they wore those. I will I will report back yes. to the doctor via text message <laughs> Good. if and when I see what the Bills attire is, but I believe Buccaneers no, no longer creamsicle. That was only the one home game. I believe yeah. they're going white with the pewter that they've had a lot of success in. We will get the update on the uniforms. Uh, Bills Mafia again is already frothing three hours before the game. The alcohol is flowing. And the chicken wing bones, etc. Let's see what this looks like coming up. There it is. He is our super freak. Roll around Buffalo. Go find out. You know, we're uh, the Rick James family. They're still hanging out there in downtown Buffalo, TJ Reeves. That's it. Oh, and and here's one for you. All right. Uh, I'll I'll let you know that uh, I don't know how this is going to make you feel or not, but uh, had a, uh, a brief conversation earlier today with former Bills wide receiver Stevie Johnson. He says he's there tonight wearing his number 13 jersey. So if you see Stevie, tell him TC said what's up because he said they're rolling to victory tonight, brother. All right. We will see what happens with that. You always be well. I'll stay in touch with you. Let's see what happens on Thursday Night Football, my friend. Go go enjoy the call, my friend. Take care. TJ Reeves, there it is, the Bucks sideline reporter. Giving us the inside scoop there in Buffalo. Beautiful weather. 70 degrees in Buffalo today. How about that? What are we going to get? Bills, a nine-point favorite over the Buccaneers tonight. We come back. The man who's on the hot streak right now. Six and one Rebels. Guiding the way. Barry Odom coming up next. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. The doctor is now in, in, in. Don't forget, join us tomorrow at the Westgate inside the world-famous Superbook. Come on by, see the show live 2 to 4 p.m. The quarterback, Jay Schrader, be in the house with us tomorrow. We got best bets and a whole lot more coming your way tomorrow. Of course, each and every Friday at the world-famous Superbook at the Westgate Las Vegas. Feel good now, see? Back off the road. Back on our regular routine Friday schedule. Love it at the Westgate. Jake Cornegay will be joining us as well, Marco D'Angelo and myself. How about those UNLV Rebels? Huh? They are 6-1 and one right now on the gridiron. 
And a huge win coming up on Saturday. And now they got to get right back out and go on the road against Fresno State. A huge Mountain West Conference game coming up Saturday afternoon. And joining us now, the head coach, Barry Odom. Coach O, what's going on, my friend? What's up, buddy? Oh, Hope do- you're doing well, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate I, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you. So let's t- let's go back to to Saturday, Allegiant Stadium. You guys win twenty five twenty three. You get a twenty eight yard field goal as time expires. You're down with about forty five seconds to go after Colorado State kicked a fifty five yard field goal. To come back from that, Barry, in that short amount of time, it was spectacular. I'm curious, what were the instructions before that game-winning drive from you to the offense? You know, it's amazing. Uh, we we try to put our team in so many different situations throughout spring ball, fall camp, uh, Monday and Tuesday, and a drill, good on good, and and try to do everything we can to put them in position that they're having to make and execute plays in situations like that. And uh, the things that you look back, and two weeks ago we had a situation on a Monday practice. At the end of practice, there were 44 seconds on the clock. We needed a field goal to win, and we had to drive the, the ball 70 yards, and our kids went and executed it. So you never know how those things are going to play out, and uh was awesome. The team reminded me that of, of that situation in the locker room after the game. So was so excited for them. There's so many big plays that happened. I thought Coach Marion did a great job on calling that drive. I thought our offensive line gave us time uh, in protection. Uh, quarterback made some big-time throws, and then receivers made plays. And then you know, it had six field goals on the, ga- on, on, the, on the day and the game winner. Uh, so hugely important that uh, everybody did their job every single time to, to give us a chance. So, Exciting for the win, and and uh, wish it wouldn't have came down to the last second, but we'll take them any way we can get them. And as you know, you can work on that stuff and practice all you want, all all those type of of last minute, you know, game type of situations, whether it's you know hurry up offense, whatever it is, and it doesn't always work out the when it comes down to, to game time, you know. But how satisfying for you is that to see what you've implemented there? Uh, to to come to fruition, and to not only you know get the game winning field goal there, but just how smoothly that drive went. Well, I think number one, a lot of it went into uh, the players having trust in what they were about to go do because they had been in the moment before Vanderbilt, same situation. Yep. Um, they they've been in the moments. They understand that they're they're fairly stoic in their demeanor and their their approach. And a lot of that has to do with the type of competitors they are, but also their habits throughout the week. They prepare themselves, they train themselves uh, to be able to go execute and, and do it with confidence. And, and that's so hugely important that, that you want those situations, uh, you want them to feel a level of comfort and understand that they've got this, uh, they've got it. Um, they trust their teammates, they understand what they need to do to go win the game. And then it takes a high level of execution to be able to go do it. So, you know, a number of factors that went into play to pull it off. But our kids, at the end of the day, they executed and, and made it happen and was, was so happy to see some validation on some of the things that they've been able to work on uh, come to truth. And you mentioned the Vanderbilt game. That's the second 
you know, and then the Colorado State game, th- those two are last second comeback wins where you're winning with a field goal at the end of the game. When that happens, and again, then it happens like for the second time, do you get this feeling like, okay, man, this is, we got something special happening here and things are just kind of falling into place? Well, we have talked about uh, since we got started that, that we're going to be just good enough. Uh, to win games, but it's going to take all 60 minutes to win some of them. And there's going to be very few times that the ball game is over and we've got the game won in the third quarter and we're sitting over on the sideline eating hot dogs. That, that's not going to happen. We've got to embrace who we are. We've got to understand that it's going to, we've got to stay in the fight. We've got to stay in the arena for 60 minutes. And if we'll continue to execute, we find ways to make uh, game-changing plays, and we play well together and complementary football in all three phases, then we'll have a chance to win games. And uh, it'll come down to, uh, you know, if we're able to execute in, in high-pressure moments. And if we can do that, then we're going to win more than we lose in those situations because of what our team has done from a preparation standpoint. Speaking of, of high-pressure situations, you got yourself a kicker in Jose Paisano who's just – Who's come through big time here? He's nailed, you know, uh, 52 yarders, uh, 46 yarders, uh, 48 yarders, and then the, these game winning kicks here. And, you know, there are a lot of people out there that kind of like, uh, don't, don't talk much about the kicking game and kickers and that sort of thing. And there's, oh, you know, you know, the, the kicker, you know, but talk about having him as that kind of secret weapon for you, because we all know it doesn't matter what level of football you need to have a kicker that can not only hit from distance, but can be clutch as well, too, and then can be consistent, and then you can count on. I mean, talk about him and, and, and that element to your team. He's a tremendous uh, competitor, and the approach that he takes every single day in practice, he puts himself in those situations that this is, you know, this is win or lose with this kick. And, uh, you know, we, we are fortunate that we've got a uh, a snapper, a holder. We've been really good in our protection. And then Jose's been lights out in, in the way that he's made kicks. And there's times that, you know, we get inside the 35 yard line and we, we want touchdowns always, but when we get inside the 35, we, we feel pretty goodly about, you know, about walking away with, with three points. And, uh, that, that is something that if you can carry with you, uh, every single week, then, uh, man, what a, what a game changer he has been for us in scoring points when we need it. And then just the re- reliability of, of how, uh, he's going to go approach it and kick it. I, you know, I hate to say it, there's some point he's going to miss one. And, uh, he's done it in practice that he, but he's missed it. And then he comes right back the next drive and goes and makes one. So, um, you know, a lot of great competitors. They're able to mentally, they're able to, no matter good, bad, or ugly, they're, they're able to bounce back. And, you know, we're fortunate that Jose has that makeup about himself. Barry, can't you tell that I'm one of those guys? I'm that guy that drafts a kicker in the fourth round of my fantasy football league every year. I love the kicker, man. You, you got the, the kicker is huge. Having a great kicker is huge. Think about, <laughs> think about the points you would have if you had Jose as your kicker right now. Right? <laughs> I mean, you'd, be lead, you'd be leading the league. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Barry Oden joins us. The Rebels are 6-1 and one through seven games. What has really stood out for you so far through these 
first seven games. And let's remember your first seven games as head coach of this football team. I think more than anything, I think we've improved as as uh, really a team or an organization. We've improved um, from week one to week two on down the stretch. We're we're a heck of a lot better right now than we were week one uh, in all three aspects of the game. And I really believe that that we have not played our best ball yet. And I'm I'm not just saying that. I think you look at there's times during the game that we're playing our best ball on offense. So there's times we're playing our best ball on defense. We haven't put it together yet. And that is uh, the ultimate uh, pursuit of what we're trying to achieve. And, and our guys understand that they've, they've really bought into the process of what each week looks like. And then, you know, every game is its own uh chapter of the book so to speak that that we've got to go play really well to have a chance to win and and our kids are excited about it they've they are uh doing a really nice job throughout the week understand that the opportunity for us to go compete there's so few many of those opportunities on all the work that you put in that they're, they're really they've embraced that and I, I i appreciate and respect that about this team <laughs> This team is now bowl eligible with six victories, and that is a big thing around here, uh, as I'm sure that you have found out and heard about within you know the past uh, you know a week. Uh, you've been around some big time programs, you know Missouri, Arkansas, just to name a few. Uh, is that somewhat different for you to have somebody or have a, you know a whole throng of people get so excited about being bowl eligible, getting your sixth win already? Uh, you know, certainly excited about. The opportunity for this program, uh, it's huge for this team. It's another building block and the foundation of, of the expectations of what we're going to do every year. Um, but it's also, this is not the mountaintop. This is just, I'm selling the way. Uh, we're, we're chasing championships, and I've said that from day one. Uh, my expectation is, is for us to compete and win championships. And, you know, I don't know what that's going to be yet. Is that, Conference championship is that bowl championship. Um, you know, the opportunities that are here and present themselves at this place, uh, we're just scratching the surface on. I think it can be an elite program. Uh, I think with the expanded playoffs in years to come, that UNLV should be that, that should be our goal that we want to get in the playoffs. And, uh, that's what we're building our team for in the very, very near future. <laughs> Saturday night at Fresno State, 7.30 kickoff. That's what's uh, next up for you guys. Huge game here. Uh, how are you approaching this game with your team, and what have those conversations been like? And again, I, I know that you've got a lot of new players. This is your first year, but there are some some holdovers uh, from the past regime and everything that have never been in this position before. But this is a huge game and has actually conference, uh, you know, championship written all over it. So talk about the conversations leading up to this game with your team. Isn't it awesome, man? I mean, yeah. you want to be in this. This is this is what you signed up for. This yep. is. Uh, what you work for and and for us it's another opportunity i i don't want to minimize the uh the matchup i think uh without question fresno is a tremendous team they're six and one so very well coached um this game six and one versus six and one a late night kick um has gained a lot of attention as it should because of the implications it has on national rankings on the conference race on on a number of things 
Um, but really, if we spend too much time thinking about that, then we're losing out on the opportunity to prepare the way you need to. And I know that's boring. I, I understand that. But our approach has to be every single day um, there's things that we have to get accomplished. And if you do those things, then you'll allow yourself to play with confidence, to trust the guy next to you, and to go play free. And if we if we do that, then we prepare the right way and we'll play our best ball Saturday night. When you look at Fresno State, what do you see and what is the best way to play these guys? Yeah, I think, number one, uh, they're very well coached. Like I said, they don't make mistakes. They don't beat themselves up. Um, <clears throat> you look at the turnover margin in college football right now, you take the top eight teams in college football and turnover margin, a reason for our success, we're right there at plus nine. Fresno is exactly the same. They're plus nine in turnover margin. So how huge that is to our success, and I know they're saying the same thing, um, they're able to run the ball uh, with with really good success. They've got two quarterbacks that they've played throughout the year due to injury. Both of them are solid, can make every throw on the field. They make you defend every inch of the field uh, in, in their schematics and zone concepts and, and routes. Um, and then defensively, they're aggressive. They're big inside. Their defensive line's built uh, like a championship defensive line. I mean, they're, they're big, strong guys that, that uh, they've had success controlling the line of scrimmage. So how do you how do you counteract that? We've got to be able to run the ball. Uh, we've got to be able to make sure we take care of the football, uh, eliminate explosive plays on the other side, and then we've got to win the turnover margin and the special teams battle. If we can win those things, then it'll come down to a fourth-quarter game, and uh, we've got to go find a way to win another one in the fourth. All right, Barry Odom joins us, UNLV against Fresno State, 6-1, 730 Fox Sports 1 on the television side. Your quarterback, Jaden Maeva, 353 yards Saturday against Colorado State. The completion percentage has been great all season long and uh, since you've inserted him as your starting quarterback. He wasn't your original starter. Uh, you know, Brumfield was. How surprised are you that he has performed this well so soon? And, you know, we go back, you know, early into that Vanderbilt game when you inserted him in there and he was extremely impressive then and has continued to be so. Well, I think really you look at our roster and we've got 107 guys on the team. Uh, the importance and the charge of our staff is to get every single one of those guys ready and prepared to play winning football. And the quarterback position is so important. Jaden has played well. He's prepared really, really well. Um, he's got natural skills and ability. Uh, he's been smart with the football, but also I think it's important to note that 10 guys around him have played really well and tried to make his job a little bit easier. And uh, that's got to continue. Uh, we've got to protect the ball. He's got to protect it. And the thing that he has done is every single week he's made progress. He's been better on his reads. He's made smarter throws. He's led the offense. Uh, he's been good on third downs. All of those things that command leadership out of that position uh, he's getting better every single week and sure excited about his future with him being a freshman. All right. Uh, I'll tell you what's been most impressive for me. It is one of my favorite stats is third down efficiency. And you guys have been exceptionally good. 
you go back to Saturday night, Colorado State, 9 for 19, uh, 11 for 18 against Reno, 8 for 15 against Hawaii, 10 for 17 uh, against UTEP, 11 for 20 against Vandy. Talk about the third down efficiency, converting those third downs, you know, keeping drives alive, moving the chains here. What has been the, the key to that success? And talk about how much that you and your OC and everybody, you know, talk about that. Well, I think, number one, it takes a schematic plan on where you think you can have success and then and then putting that into play. And, and I think our offensive staff has done a really good job on giving us winnable plays on third down. A number of things that go into that as well, you've got to be good on first and second down to get a, a manageable third down yardage. And we don't want to live in third and seven plus those numbers wouldn't be near as good if that were the case. So we got to be really effective on our first down effectively uh, of, of running the ball or getting some positive yards on first down, get a manageable second down, cut the number in half. So third down is, is short or, or medium at best um, or at worst. And then, and then you've got to go execute because you know, the way that, that our offense works best is in the drive, you get the first, first down, and then you can get in the flow of some of the things that we do. So, you know, a lot of credit and a lot of work goes into it by the offensive staff. And then, you know, throughout the week of practice, that is one of the situations that we hit every single day. And, and our kids understand the importance of it. All right. Before we let you go, Barry, let's, let's just talk about you here for a second. Uh, first season with this team, still relatively new to Las Vegas. Uh, tell me what you've really come to enjoy about this city and, um, you know, what, just, just, just thoughts on not only your team, but let's talk about yeah. Las Vegas. What, 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 what is really got you juiced up about about moving here? Well, I think it's a wonderful city, and the longer I've been here, the smaller it gets. But also, there's a there's a vibe, there's an electric feel every single day. I mean, there's something going on every single day. It's a championship city. You look at what the Aces just did, um, coming off of what the Golden Knights did in their season. And I think that's contagious. I believe that, um, you know, the, the number of people that have started to follow our program, uh, our kids feel it. You know, I, I truly believe that there's plenty of space in Vegas to have an elite college football program. I thought that when I took the job, and I, and I believe it even more now after being here for some time. Uh, our family, you know, my family has, has loved living here. It's been a great experience for the 10 months we've been here. And uh, we're we're excited and and proud to call it home. Great stuff, my friend. Okay, well, good luck uh, on the road uh, at Fresno State. We will definitely be watching, and uh, can't wait to to see when you get back here here in a couple weeks. So, uh, good luck uh, this Saturday, my friend, and uh, try to keep this train rolling here. All right, buddy. Thanks. There it is. Barry Odom, the six in one UNLV Rebels playing some fantastic football right now. You look at the, those third down conversions. Teams don't do that. They don't. Remember yesterday we talked about the low scoring games that we had last weekend and some of the putrid third down conversions. We talked about Penn State 0 for 15 on their first 15 third down attempts. 0 for 15, ended up 1, 1 for 16. Same thing with the Detroit Lions against the Baltimore Ravens. Look what UNLV is doing. They're basically converting. If you throw out the Michigan game, they're converting basically almost 50%. That is unheard of. And that's why 
a team is having success. That's when you know that you're playing some good football and you're rolling. You're putting up the offensive numbers that you are and one of the main reasons why you're 6-1 and one right now. All right, we'll see how the Rebels do as they take on Fresno State coming up here on Saturday night. We come back. We got more football to talk about. We're going to preview tonight's game between the Bills and the Bucks a little bit more. Talk about it from a sportsbook perspective. We're going to handicap it with Scott Spritzer. B. Sal's going to join us from News 3. That and a whole lot more coming your way on a thunderous Thursday. Martin banks it off. Sutter is up with it there. Right around it, Brett. Capital of the world. Leading goal scorer on the team. Drew one and Brent It's the TC Martin Show. A tie game on the power play. Hodgson was at the front of the net. They are even. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. A power play goal by the captain. TC Martin. It's brushed on back by Richard Buckson. Right up front. Younger finish side of the net. Score! The doctor is now in. Hour number two here on this thunderous Thursday. Keep on keeping on here. Want to thank Barry Odom for joining us. Good stuff there. Talking about the matchup Saturday night as the Rebels go to Fresno to take on the Bulldogs. Both teams six and one. Looking forward to that. Seven thirty kickoff in Fresno. Think about that. Rebels taking on Fresno State. That has. Mount West Conference Championship implications written all over it. I mean, if you were gone for the last year or so, you said, what are you guys talking about? This is UNLV football. This team, lucky to win three or four games a, a year. Rebels have won six? Was I sleeping? What happened here? That's the fact, Jack. Six and one. Now, granted, schedule has not been world beaters. Colorado State. Played exceptionally well. Colorado State much better than a lot of people give them credit for. Remember, they nearly beat Colorado as a 21-point underdog. Probably should have won that game. And Colorado State can play. So kind of feel bad for Colorado State. Jay Cornegay's Colorado State Rams, his alma mater, uh, for losing that game last week. But give it to UNLV. They kick a field goal with 45, you know, they, they get the ball back with 45 seconds to go, march down the field. Kick it as time expires. You know, talk about Jose Piazzano. I mean, come on. Fantastic year for him as a field goal kicker. And uh, their second, last second comeback win. So congratulations to the Rebels. Yes, the schedule does get tougher because you got Fresno State on the road. Then you got to face Air Force. Wyoming will be a, a tough team. And that's the upper echelon of the Mountain West Conference this year. So we're excited about the Rebels right now. They are bowl eligible. But these next three weeks will determine not only where they stand in conference championship time, but where and what type of bowl that they will, what kind of invitation they're going to get, depending on how well they play in these next three football games. So, yeah, it's nice to get these wins, but you know when you beat Hawaii, you beat UNR, that's not really saying too much. You got to beat the 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 upper echelon in the Mountain West Conference. So they're going to get their opportunity to do that. All right? 
So good stuff uh, there. Don't forget, we got football tonight. We got Tampa Bay and Buffalo in Orchard Park. Scott Spritzer will join us at the bottom of the hour. Look forward to talking with him, handicapping that. Plus, the World Series, college football, NFL, and a whole lot more. Right now, we keep it local here with our guy, my guy. I don't know how he's dressed today. He might be on. A, might be a casual Thursday for him. You know, m- most people have casual Fridays. I know B-Sal is really, really casual on Fridays. I mean, he doesn't even go into work most of the time on Friday, so he's lounging. But I don't know what he's wearing today. I got a feeling he's going to be on the news tonight. Check him out. My guy, News 3, Brian Salmon, the fine sports director over at News 3. What is up, my man? What's going on, Chief man? I'm doing, I'm doing very well, man. Just picked up my baby girl, Nia, from school. And, uh, yeah, actually tonight... I have a rare day off. It's casual Thursday, like you said. I you love know, it. have it on Friday. I got it on Thursday. Now, now, for those that didn't see Sunday night, so B-Sal had me on Sunday sports night, right? So, B-Sal, I, w- I want to know, whose introduction was better? Uh, my introduction of you just now or yours uh, with me on Sunday? That's what I want to know. Uh, definitely mine. <laughs> <Gosh. laughs> I don't know, man. That was pretty strong, man. I mean... No, yours was great. Great. Oh, I just give you back. I, I, uh, so when you, you know what? I should probably say yours because yours is off the cuff, correct? Correct. That's right. You're reading a teleprompter, weren't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I wrote it, but I, I take time to write mine and to make mine clever and everything. Yours is yours is very good, but it's not like it's a uh, it's it's uh, a bar, as as the kids say. You know what I mean? So. Um, I could give you that kind of introduction, but I figure if I have someone to come to the studio, you know, I want to pick up a little fun facts and think of some stuff and, you know, try to make it as nice as I can, man. But I love having you on. You already know. Yeah, yeah, no, that was, uh, that was, uh, that was great, man. That was fantastic. Always, uh, enjoy coming in with you for Sunday sports night or visiting with you, being on with you at the games, uh, wherever you're at. So uh, always great, man. Always great. A lot of fun. And, uh, chemistry, man. Huh? We have good chemistry, yes. Now, man. Yes, we do. A- absolutely. So maybe that's what you need to do, B. Sal. Uh, you are the you are the uh, sports director over there. Maybe you go talk to those peeps over there, and uh, you you get us a a two man shows. And I don't want to you know take away from Sunday sports or anything like that. But we're talking about you know maybe another platform or the same platform, different time. You better work on that. You you tell them we'll bust it open for it, man. <laughs> you know what? I can do something like that, but you know money talks and and. And the uh, Brian Salmon BS walks right. So uh, it's two of the same. Like it's, it's exactly the same thing right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have to have it sold, and you're a much better salesman than I am. Yeah, as far as like being able to get people to sponsor stuff and all that other kind of stuff. You know what I mean? So, uh, okay, well, you set you well, set up a meeting. I'll, I'll talk some sense into those people over there. I think you could. Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, you could. <laughs> you guys can take Fallon off. It's okay. That's true. Yeah. Just do every Monday through Friday after the news. You're good. No, that's a little too much work right there. No, okay. Not. Yeah. Well, I'm looking more of a once a week thing, you know? That's what we got to do. Yeah. But then you, then. I need a paycheck though. Yeah. But, but here's the deal. What would happen then is then B-Sal would see a totally different side of me. Okay. He would see, I would have to up my, my dress game to match his. And what he doesn't know. I think deep down inside, because he's seen a few pictures, but I can match him. See, if I went TV like that, I'd have to match B-Sal. And we, we would be coming with some, 
serious sharp dressed men right there. This is your theme song. There it is. Well, you know, B Sal and I like a little more, a little funk. You know what I'm saying? But I know where you're going with this. You know the lyrics on that, yeah. yeah. You can match her. I see you get fresh to death. You ain't the hat. That's right. I would have to go with a hat. Especially after, you know, Nunchuck and Mark will give me a bad time saying that uh, I, 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 I was shining. I was shining on Sunday. I don't like that. And I said, you talking about me or B-Sal? I'm like, oh, no, no, we're talking about you. Oh, uh, that's good, because I'm usually the greasy one on TV. Yeah. Man. I'm, that's my night. I'm the greasiest man on television, man. My face is always shining. Greasiest one. <laughs> Can I have four uh, fried chickens and a Coke? Uh, Chris Rock, okay. Chris yeah, Rock, no, like that's it. John. But that's, that's Blues Brothers right there, man. Come on. Oh, is that for the Blues Brothers? Yeah. Uh, I, thought that, I thought that was Chris Rock and his character on In Living Color. Uh, no, he probably stole that, or he did something that was a facsimile of that. So you're close. You're, 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 I see how you are. Big words. I, I don't know if you could type that one on your teleprompter, B. Sal. Could you spell that one? <laughs> and, and, how, and how would you pronounce that? Oh man! Uh, yeah, and I couldn't use. Hey, let me ask I, you I, this: I, I, Do you do you write everything, or are, the, are those those certain special occasions when, hey, you're so swamped and you're multitasking, and then you have to have some someone else, you know, write something for you, and then you get up there and go, oh man, what, what, somebody blew that, man! I said the wrong word, and then you go off on him. Has that ever happened? Uh, yes, it, that happens very often. Where I'll read something and I'll look at it, I'm like, man, who the heck wrote this? And then I realized that I write everything. <laughs> I wrote it. <laughs> okay, I you wrote can't it. even blame yeah, Jesse no, on that? I mean, come on. I, I can't blame anybody, man. So, uh, no, I, no one writes any of my stuff, man. I'm like a rapper, baby. Like, I, I'm, a, I'm a lyricist, baby. I write all my own songs. No ghostwriter over here. I ever. love it. I love it. I, that, and, and when, that probably adds another, what, two hours to your day, right? Yeah, I mean, people don't understand. I mean, to write stuff. And you try to make stuff. I ad-lib a ton, you know what I mean? But as far as I like, say, I'm doing highlights in the Golden Knights. A lot of times I'm doing the highlights in my head how I would normally do it. And I write how I talk. So it's not like I, you know, I'm writing in, you know, the, the, the King's, Queen's English, you know. So I write how I talk. But I'll leave space for, for me to say whatever I'm feeling at the time. And oftentimes I'll say a bunch of craziness that doesn't necessarily uh, – you know that's not written down. Whatever I'm feeling, right? Whatever I'm feeling. Yeah, you get you got you have to have that element uh, thrown into it. There's no question. The the human element yeah, on the fly. Uh, the the reactionary moments. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people don't realize. Well, they maybe they do. I don't know. Like I said, you know, TV, radio, just they're 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 totally different mediums. And you know, but I think the way we both prepare. Is very very similar though, and again we're we're covering a lot of the same stuff. We're doing the same stories, but you know uh, the way television is delivered compared to radio, it, there are some some differences, some nuances. So it's uh, it, it's pretty cool, and so yeah, yeah, always fun, man. Always fun being with you. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, the parade. We I know that uh, you guys did a did a really good job of covering it, and I know what you're going to say, and but you know you guys were probably really more deeper into it last year because you guys were partners with the Las Vegas Aces last year. But still, I think you guys did a, a really good job of, of of covering it. So talk a little bit about your coverage and, and your plan, and then then afterwards how you felt about everything with the parade itself. Yeah, I mean, probably the biggest thing as far as like us being partners with the Aces last year is that um, 
or you already know that we got some memorabilia, which is cool. We got a chance to, to support some of that. But other than that, honestly, we didn't get any more access last year than we had this year as far as the parade is concerned, mainly because the parade was just thrown together last year. Remember how, you know, the, the women had to jump on, a lot of them had to jump on an airplane and fly to Australia like that night. Right. They had to throw it together really quickly. This time it was thrown together kind of, I'll say necessarily quickly, but it was changed up because of the whole F1 coverage and everything else. But I digress. As far as the parade was concerned, Jesse and I were on the riser in, in uh, Toshiba Plaza the entire time, you know, just looking at the stage, and we didn't see any of the parade. I still haven't seen the parade and everyone on the, the buses and everything else. I have no idea what went on out there, except for someone showed me they had some lowriders on a, I guess, that was in the parade. Someone showed me on a, a phone or something like that. But, um, but as far as once they got to Toshiba Plaza and the speeches, they were top-notch. On part, they were better than the Golden Knights as a whole because everyone that got on the mic burned the mic down, except for maybe like even Jackie Young and her quick little thing. She burned it, showing off the shirt, and you know the fact that she doesn't speak and she actually got on the mic for a quick second. Yeah, um, Chelsea Gray was fantastic. Coach was fantastic. Asia was fantastic. Alicia Clark, whom I am a huge fan of, week week, she was fantastic. So. Yeah, no, it was a great. I had a good time. And two chains burning down too. Eight hours later. So, B cell, you're talking about member. You're talking about shirts, right? Yeah. I ha- I have a shirt if you want to buy it from me. <laughs> He's, very, very hey, I told you the friend. story. B cell is a large. You're an XL. I had an XL, and B cell specifically requested the L. So he's not going to take your XL. Especially if you tell him the story. Nah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He'll tell me that off the air at some point. Okay. I mean, you brought it up. I, I could tell it again if you want. Okay. So here's the deal. So, you know, you asked me for a shirt. Other people were asking me for shirts and, and that sort of thing. And I said, listen, I, I'm going to be in the parade. I can't, I'm not going to be able to, to carry shirts with me. I'm not going to be able to do it. I'm not taking a duffel bag with me. All right. I'll be throwing shirts out to the crowd. And then I was downsizing. So I came and I did the first no. hour of the. Oh, I'm about to be mad. Yeah. You're going to be, Go well, ahead, no. So anyway, no, you're not going to be mad. You're not going to be mad. You're going to be very happy. Yeah, Trust yeah. me. <laughs> no, I'm joking. You'll be happy. So anyway, I even downsized because I did the first hour of the show live and I, cause I didn't want to take anything with me to the parade. I had my phone, had my charger in my back pocket and that was it. So I'm throwing out some t-shirts and you know, all the t-shirts are XLs. So, and uh, believe me, I'm, I'm a guy that likes to please as, as you guys know. And so I said, well, I'm not going to be able to carry t-shirts with me. I know Numchuck wants a t-shirt, B-Sal, other people. I got family, friends, all want t-shirts. So I, I'm not going to be able to do it. So. I held a couple back, two specifically, and I had to bring one for Numchuck because, again, he's my guy here, and you know, I know, I know he's a, I, he's an XL. So, how am I going to carry these two T-shirts back with me, B Sal? Um, I was wearing my 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 jeans, and you know, I, I had the the Aces Championship shirt on, so really didn't have pockets, so I had to. Keep them somewhere, and I told Numchuck the story where I was housing his T-shirt, and it was—I was, yeah—it had to go down the front of my pants. 
and I had to kind of disguise it, you know, so I didn't look like I was, you know, you know, you know carrying the load. Yeah, exactly, right? So, you know, luckily, you know, the shirt, you know, kind of covered everything. So then I gave him the shirt, and he was so excited. And then I said, well, there's a story behind that T-shirt. And once I told him the story, now he doesn't want the T-shirt no more. So wow. he's offering that T-shirt to you. What does that say? <laughs> okay, first, first, day, first thing is it is it a championship T-shirt or is it the same T-shirt they throw out at the game? No, 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 championship T-shirt. The yeah, the back to back. It's the back to back one. Yeah. The okay, yeah. So I forgot. Yeah, I'm probably upset. So <laughs> you're telling me you're telling me to take two T-shirts and open them and throw them over your shoulders? Too much. Are those huge. Those huge, heavy, cumbersome T-shirts. <laughs> well, that would be unfolding because we're throwing them in the crowd. They're all rolled up like a ball, as you know, as, as they, you know, they do a game night. Yes. So, yeah. Yes. No. Oh, come on. I mean, going down the oh red carpet God. and they're in the parade. I'm oh. gonna. You think those T-shirts are going to last? They would have ta- People would have oh taken them right God. off my shoulder. What are you talking about, man? I, I, could, I say that if it were me, easily I'd get that done. But, you know, some people don't. You know, some people don't care about others like that. Nah, nah, nah. Some people, you know, all about themselves. If you were an XL, but you were very specific. You said, I'm an L. That's what you said. Well, I mean, an XL is better than a zero L. Or a medium. Right. I got you. Okay. Okay. All right. And, you know, I've been working out, too. So, I mean, I can probably fill that thing out. The thing is, you um, like to show those guns, though. That's why you want the L. You're one of those guys that goes (laughs) a a half size uh, less. I know how you are. <laughs> yeah, man, I do all my push-ups, man, and, and cut off the sleeves on the shirts. But no, nah, I, I, you know what? Honestly, it, I'm, I'm a little shocked that you don't that you, that this event that you wouldn't take like a backpack or something. You don't ever take a backpack to carry stuff because I understand like carrying phone chargers and and phones yeah. and I don't know like wallets and all kinds. Like I, I have like a fanny pack that I bring. I don't wear it, but I carry it over, you know, kind of like a like a, a backpack in a sense. So, yeah, no, I, I get it, man. Like no one likes to carry. I, I, I can't do a backpack for a parade. In a, I'm in a parade, man. I'm not going to carry a backpack. A just, fanny you're pack. Not walking in a parade, you're sitting on a bus. Yeah. Backpack on the ground. What are you doing? But, but how goofy does that look? How goofy does that look walking on a red carpet with a backpack? I mean, no. Nah, I mean, I might as well be carrying a duffel bag. I mean, that's it. And I'm not. I'm not there to to, to, to take t-shirts. You know. You know. Well, throw that's them out. That's, we that's we could get job. we could get you guys your t-shirts down the road. You 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 get your shirts down the road. I mean, come on, man. I mean, you're telling hold on, you're telling me that nobody that was there, if you had a backpack, would have either put it off to the side. You could walk the red carpet. You you have to carry oh. everything. Now there we go. There, there there we go, ladies and gentlemen. Here we go. Brian Salmon, okay, a guy who spent time in Boston. I'm supposed to go ahead and take a backpack and put it on the side of a road of a parade. What's that going to look like? I'm going to get arrested, man. What what is that? Yeah. I'm talking about when you get to the red carpet. I should have planned better. You know, here's a, you know, Numchuck brought this up the other day and I, I, I should have had, I should have had somebody there and say, Hey, we had some plans. Yeah. Like, like maybe our girl, maybe our girl, the sports Nista. If I, if I would have like, you know, arranged something with her knowing she was going to be there or on the side and say, Hey, 
a hold on to these for me or, or, or somebody else. Yeah, but I wasn't I wasn't thinking like that, man. Sorry. No, I, I get it. I get it. I mean, and the reason I say this is because, like I asked you, you can you can guess that all the time, all the time for stuff from people at my station. Uh-huh. And I bring back towels and stuff like that. I mean, that's basically what I, I but I carry a backpack, though. So, yeah. And I wear a backpack with a suit. So, I mean, I, but I, I get it, though. I don't walk red carpet. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't walk a red carpet with a backpack either. There you I go. I do man. get that. There you go. All right, man. Uh, what do you think is going to happen with these uh, Raiders this week, man? Now they got to go to Detroit. Uh, it's been it's been disappointment. Uh, the loss to the Bears. Uh, tell me how you guys are going to be covering this and give me some thoughts here as you get ready for Raiders Lions Monday Night Football. Man, first off, did you see Raider Ralph and then with the the hubbub? that he had over at the Aces Parade with the fire of Josh McDaniel sign and everything else and him confronting Mark Davis? Not right, man. Not right. 1,000%. I didn't like the fact that he did that at the parade. I remember I, I didn't know who the guy was and what was going on, but him holding up that sign was directly in our line of sight trying to look at the stage. And I was, you know, recording a lot of videos on my phone, and I see this sign. I'm thinking to myself, man, who is this fool? That's doing this, and why? I mean, what do you really? That's what you're doing here at the at the celebration parade. Like I get it that you have feelings about McGales and blah blah blah, but this is not the time or place. And home training teaches you time and place, right? So I, I didn't appreciate that at all. Um, but as far as the Raiders are concerned, them going up against the Detroit Lions, man, I, it's a game that I don't know if it's like a must win, but. Um, they, They're they almost wins well. right now, man. Right? They're almost wins. When 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 you have this record <laughs> right now, seriously, you're below 500. They're almost wins. Yeah, they're in a must play well. But I mean, the Lions are a good team. The Lions just got beat down. Yeah, beat down by was that the Ravens? Yes, they got beat th- down 38 to six. So, yeah, them at home against the Raiders. Ugh. You know what? This will tell. This will tell everyone what the players think about Josh McDaniels and how they respond to the game they just had and what's going on. Cause no doubt they see what's going on with the, with the Raider Ralph guy and everything else. So if the team comes out flat and doesn't play well, he is absolutely 1000% lost the locker room and the players are playing for him. If they play well, then I would say that the team that still believes in them and they're still trying to do well. Yeah. Uh, again, you, we, we talked last week about kind of being a, a gauge or a barometer on how they were going to handle the Chicago Bears, a team they're favored to beat on the road, but the the Bears were up for the challenge. The defense was better than the Raiders. Heck, the Bears were better on both sides of the ball. Uh, one team showed up uh, with energy and ready to play, and that was the Bears, and it was not the Raiders. I mean, that's just a dismal performance. And now you got to go to Detroit, like you said, you know, Facing a team that just got humiliated, who was five and one coming into that game. That's what the Lions were. I expect the Lions to have that same mojo the way the Bears had, and they're going to defend their home field. So, yeah, I mean, even if the Raiders like say, okay, uh, we're 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 fighting for our coach or whatever, we we haven't really seen any of that. That really. That shows that in the commentary we've heard from Devonte Adams or even Josh Jacobs and in in others, and then their body language. Uh, at this point in time, right now, B. Sal, we've got 
seven games to judge this team. And when they've scored more than 20 points on one occasion and I have what, uh, you know, not garnished over what, you know, uh, 350 yards and only one game. I mean, it's, it's, it is what it is at this point, right? This team is, is pretty inept offensively. They're not imaginative at all. So I just think that, you know, this is what this team is right now. And for people to think all of a sudden, oh, they're going to flip a switch. There's no, there's no switch to flip. <laughs> there's no flip to switch. I know, there's right? No switch to flip. Yeah, no, I, I agree, man. It's, um, to what they've done so far, and just, I think a big tell is what you mentioned, the fact that Devontae Adams, like hearing the rhetoric from Devontae and from Josh Jacobs, the body language, man, that's another big one. How about, uh, Hunter? Uh, how about Hunter? You know what I mean? Like the fact that he is just going from a pro bowl receiver to nobody. Uh, I, I think that, I think the writing's on the wall with Josh, or Josh, yeah, Josh McDaniels. The one thing I question I have, and you might know something about this. What's the whole, is it, is it a contract deal? Like if Mark Davis still paying John Gruden and would he end up having to pay John Gruden and Josh McDaniels? And, and, and do you think that is, uh, that's the only reason I would think that you would not get rid of him, in, in my opinion. You know, I, I do not believe it's a contract thing because when uh, uh, Gruden was 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 fired, you got to remember, you know, it, that was uh, for like a morals clause. So you don't get paid, you know, for the moral clauses like that. Remember, football contracts are not guaranteed for players or coaches. So, or yeah, now. Um, yeah, so that, that, that's what I'm under the under, understanding of. Unless, you know, like I said, you know, coaches are, are, are different, but from a player's perspective, I mean, you know, that's like Chandler Jones right now. I mean, they don't owe him any more money. Good riddance. Goodbye. Even though he signed that extension last year. Yeah, he got like the, he, I know that players have their guaranteed money, so to speak. So they, they get that money. But, um, yeah, I didn't know whether or not it was the same with coaches and whatnot, but if, if that's not an issue, if that's truly not an issue, then I don't see any reason whatsoever why Mark Davis doesn't pull the plug. Um, well, here, unless, he, he doesn't pull the plug. I mean, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say because, I mean, they still have an opportunity to make the playoffs, right? I mean, they, they have an opportunity to do a rich Versace and turn things around. And if you believe that your coach that they have now, McDaniels, is the guy that can turn things around, then I guess you keep him. But if you don't believe that he's that guy, then sooner than later, you know, after this next couple of games, they get beat down. And like I said, they look terrible versus the Bear versus the Lions. And they play someone else that's pretty good right after that. Um, then ugh, I, I think, I don't know. I, I think that to, to keep the fan base happy and, and to actually keep the players wanting to play for this team, then I think it's going to end up happening. Here's the thing, though. If if you get rid of McDaniel's midseason, you you got to replace him with someone, and the replacement would just be it wouldn't be to improve this team. It would be uh, an interim guy who'd be on the staff. And believe me, if yeah. Mark Davis decides to pull the trigger and, and get rid of Josh McDaniel's, he's not keeping anybody on that staff. 
it's like where Basaccio is like, okay, you know, he's been around us a long time, this and that. Uh, it's an emergency situation. Gruden's got to go. Uh, let's try to keep the continuity. Let's rally the troops around, you know, Basaccio and let him do his thing. And he did that. So I think it's a totally different scenario. And Mark Davis said during the season, uh, the off season, he says, well, I'm not going to get rid of a guy after one year. I mean, we got to give him time to look at the draft picks and, and see how this, you know, uh, plays out itself. So, I think he stays with them the entire year because you're, you're only going to try to, to, um, you try to save the season if there was someone else from the outside that was available to bring in. And I don't think there is that guy. And I think they need to do a deep dive search if this is going to be it for Josh McDaniels. So you got to sacrifice this season and then just go gung ho and get it right, uh, in the off season. Then you got to make the decision. Well, Okay, do we get rid of the whole Patriot Way thing? If I get rid of McDaniels, do I keep Ziegler? Or what's the deal? So there's a lot of moving parts, I think, to this whole thing. No, no, I agree with that. As far as like the moving parts, yes. As far as the, the saving of the season and um, whether or not if you get rid of Josh McDaniels, does that save the season? I think yes. I think that getting rid of the head coach, he's the one that brought the Patriot Way. It wasn't, it, it's not Ziegler that, that brought the Patriot Way. Dig was the one who's, you know, basically got your draft picks and everything else. And as far as I would say, the draft picks have been decent. You know, they've been decent so far. But the offense, the way that the team is being coached, the, you know, the penalties, the, you know, the the bidlings, all that kind of stuff that you're talking about, that's all been brought about by Josh McDaniels and not Ziegler. So, and I think if he's gone, this is just my, my opinion, but I think if he's gone, then I think the morale and the uh, the morale of the team, I think, you you improve by elimination, by subtraction, in my opinion. Mm. I don't think that any coach, I think, that's on that staff that maybe takes over does not take over with the same attitude that Josh Daniels has. He, I believe that that person would realize that that way is not working. Right, I agree. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah that. so I think, you know, say they had, I don't even know who that person would be because it, be it wouldn't be the defensive coordinator, but maybe... Is it Lombardi? Because I think he's. I don't think there's anybody on. I don't think there's anybody in that staff that screams head coaching material though right now. You know, even from an intern. No, no, no. I agree. I agree, but maybe a leader of men. Because wasn't a guy that screamed head coach, but he was a leader. Right. You know what I mean? And someone that the people could get behind. I think they've got. I think there's got to be someone on that staff that would be a person that players would follow. That's not the coach, unfortunately. He is Brian Salmon, News 3 Sports Director. Brother, we will let you get back to it. We look forward to the coverage coming up uh, this weekend, man, and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. My guy, man. I, I appreciate it, man. That was good talking with you, man. I, You know, my heart's broken that I, I, I didn't get a T-shirt. But, it, I mean, I still love you, my man. So <laughs> it's, no, it's no problem. <laughs> I told you, you can have mine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need the juices from... <laughs> it, it, it was on the outer portion like i said okay wasn't tucked all the way inside you know it's like when you tuck your t-shirt in numchuck the t-shirt doesn't go inside the chonies it goes on the outside okay it was perfectly safe there <laughs> and what he didn't tell you b salas i washed the shirt i washed it before i even gave it to him Oh, well, that, that's different. Even Still needs three more washings for me. Remnants. Yeah, exactly. It's got remnants anyway. Oh, no, that's what I'm saying. B-Sal, I was th- come on, B-Sal, I need some credit, man. I was thinking about you. I said, it's not his size. Again, I'm not, I'm not in the t-shirt department. 
you know, uh, that's not my job. I'm, I'm not there. Just like, just like you're not. But you know, if you have an opportunity to to, to get some some swag, you're going to share it with, uh, with 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 your buddies and with your compadres. Yeah, and and, and the, the thought the thought was there. Department. It's coming. It's coming eventually. Department. There you go. All right, brother. Go talk it's to Jiggy. Love, Jiggy, Jiggy will hook you up. I'm sure. There you go. What? Yeah, we're not partners no more, man. I get no more hookups from Jiggy. Oh man, now you are. There you are. You know, just maybe contractually that your station isn't. He loves you, man. You know that. There you go. Yeah, Jiggy's good people, man. I, and the love is returned, man. Jiggy's good folks. Everyone over at the Ace. Absolutely, Absolutely, including you. Thank you, thank you, my friend. All right, brother. Be cool. We'll talk to you soon. All right, be good, my man. You guys take it easy. You got it. There is Brian Salmon. Check him out. Jesse Merrick, the whole crew, News 3. Check them out each and every night. We come back. Let's handicap World Series, college football, NFL, Scott Spritzer. All right, let me put some water on your balls. More from the master debater. See, Martin, you'll never know what comes out of this guy's mouth. Oh, the hits just keep on coming here on a thunderous Thursday. You gotta love it. Let's talk some more football here. We'll get ready for Buffalo and Tampa Bay tonight, Thursday night football, a game I'm actually intrigued about. And uh, we got the official word that the Bills are wearing all blue tonight. So it sounds like one of these ridiculous color rush games. So blue on blue, I'm okay. Now, if it was red on red, I'd be out. Would not wager on that. But blue on blue, I think I could do. There it is. Scott Spritzer joins us now, who factors in the uniform colors in his handicapping daily. What's going on, brother? <laughs> I got to start by saying Numchuck's a man. He's got fishbone playing in the background. How do you like that? <laughs> and and but, kudos uh, to you for for picking that up. Oh, that's good stuff. That's that's nineties. That's nineties Scott. Fishbone <laughs> 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 of the Chili Peppers. You could have found me wherever they were playing. Coming to a theater near you. That's but, uh, that's long. You know, that's what, long-haired Scott for me. Yeah, you know what's funny is I was long-haired Scott, but I was not a, like a metal guy. I was, you know, I was into like punk funk and all that stuff but i was like the one guy in the room who had bon jovi hair but was listening to punk funk so you know there you go so um, let me ask but, you man how come you uh, how come you never uh, didn't go the perm routine like me see i went the perm <laughs> routine well let me see when you and i were around when perms were popular uh, it probably would have scorched both of our scalps so Obviously, someone's missing more hair than the other guy. But we're both uh, so, so we're, I, I'm, I'm there, brother. I, I, I'm there. You know? <laughs> I actually got one back in, I'm going to say, around 1990. Yeah. And, and I had long hair at the time. It was probably, oh, gosh, close to halfway down my back, and I got a, a kind of a loose curl perm to go with it. And, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> Those days are over. <laughs> so how many guys would approach you from behind? they say, hey, what's up, sweet cakes? <laughs> you know, that's, I'm not going to go into it. I'm not going to. Uh, luckily, luckily, Dwight Howard wasn't around. Am I allowed whoa, to say that? Oh, you just did. <laughs> Those late nights at the frontier of the Stardust. That's all we're saying, brother. That's it. That's funny. Oh, man. Or maybe the Peppermill back in those days. How about that, Scott? We did that. We used to go to do the Stardust show and run across the street to the Peppermill once oh. in a great while. So. You know, that was the problem with the Stardust line. I, I did that for about five years, <clears throat> TC, as you know, and from 91 to 96. So I jumped on that show 
when I was, what, 24 years old. And did that for about five years, and I think I aged about 25 years of those five years because we would go 10 to midnight on Saturday nights, but I would go, you know, then after that from like midnight to 7 a.m. before I actually made it home. So it was, it was a little rough. It, it was definitely aging a few years during that five-year run. Man, that is a young Scott Spritzer to get a gig like that at that young age. That's, uh, that's impressive, man. Very impressive. Well, you know, it had a lot to do with Seed Williams, of course. Yeah. Joe Lupo okayed it and all that kind of stuff back then. <laughs> My man, Joe the- Lupo! Unbelievable, yeah. yes. Oh, that's moved good- to AC. He moved to AC back in the mid-90s, I would say. Yeah. And, and his last I heard was doing extremely well there. Might be retired by now. And then, of course, you know who else uh, sat in with us quite often after Lupo left was... Uh, our boy D. Wayne Malden, I was who just gonna say, was one of my favorites. Oh, he was know? great. He was great. He was great. Man, I mean, no one, no one wrote a better comp than D. Wayne Malden. I'll tell you that. Oh, he was great. <laughs> I, I Cincinnati Bengals fan, if I remember right. I think you're. Yeah, they're very good. Very good. Look at that. All right, reminiscing with Scott Spritzer. All right, brother, what do you got tonight? Tampa Bay, Buffalo. We know Buffalo is night and day difference, home and away. Josh Allen's night and day difference. Nine touchdowns. And one interception at home. The Bills coming off. Two of the last three games have been just uh, atrocious performances. I don't know how you're feeling, Scott, but I really like Buffalo in this case. And I know the line has moved up, but uh, I know there's also naysayers out there saying, how can you bet a Buffalo team that having problems scoring? I just think it's a, it's a good spot for them. What say you? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's kind of interesting that the line started going up again once it was announced that Baker Mayfield was probable rather than questionable. Yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, when I was handicapping this game the other day, I was like, you know, I don't mind if Baker Mayfield plays. Get him in there. I mean, listen, they've dropped three or four. The offense is bogged down. They're catching Buffalo at the wrong time. Uh, and, again, you know, as far as Mayfield is concerned, leading this team, they're 0-2 against teams playing better than 500 football this year. They lost 20-6 to to Detroit, blown out there, 25-11 to to Philly, blown out there. Uh, Baker Mayfield does what he does. He bullies bad teams, goes up against the Lions and the Eagles. He goes 34-62, of 62, one touchdown, two picks, like 5.6 yards per pass, T.C. So it's a thing where, you know, when he moves up to that next level of opponent, his numbers just drop off. And the Bills are 10th against the pass. Tampa can't run. Near the bottom of the league in yards rushing per contest. So, you know, defensively, by the way, the Bucks are, are horrible defending the pass. Yep. So I think Josh Allen, I'm with you, I think Josh Allen gets it together, has a big game off of a couple of so-so performances. And then I looked at Tampa a little bit deeper, and I saw where they've covered just one of their last nine against teams that average at least seven yards per pass. Buffalo fits the bill, uh, no pun intended there. And, and they're 26-8, and eight, by the way, against the spread off at least three consecutive spread losses. I, I think they win the game by 17. Yeah, I'm with you. I, 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 and I hope you're dead on with that. All right, let's talk a little World Series, and that gets underway game number one tomorrow. Not the World Series that we expected or anticipated. Uh, two real long shots coming into the season, even though Texas retooled a little bit specifically with Seager and, and Simeon, but still... You know, that was before Max Scherzer. No one really knew, you know, what this pitching staff was going to do. And they were, they weren't very good. And then this Arizona Diamondbacks team, uh, if those of you who don't know, Scott Sparks has been a closet Tori Lovello guy for a long time. Yes. Going back to his days with the Angels, right? See, that's what, <laughs> well, that's what it is for you. I know that's why you like this guy, but you've liked him as a manager of the D-backs, but I can guarantee you, Scott, that it started when he was a halo. Well, it probably did. I just don't want to admit it. Yeah. But, but I am a Livolo fan. And, and you know what? A couple of years ago when they had all those injuries and they had a horrible season when you know they're struggling to get to 60 wins on the year, 
I kept saying on shows I was doing, maybe on yours too, TC, when we talked baseball, and I was like, man, do not get rid of Lavolo. He's had a, a yep. situation that has been unmanageable with the amount of injuries they had, and they stuck with him. I think he's one of the smartest baseball minds in the entire league in the last decade, and he's proven it, I think, this season. I had them over 75 wins. I think it was 75 and a half uh, this year. They had that one drought. I think it was like right after the break where it's like they went like 2-12 and 12 or something, and I was starting to sweat getting over 75 and a half, but they did get there by nine games. And then, of course, here they are in the World Series. They got hot at the right time. You know, I, I look at this series, and I'm like, you know, I, I've had a real nice playoff run, 11-2 and two the last 13, knock on wood. And I'm like, you know, can Houston, excuse me, Houston, can, that's, I expected Houston to be here, by the way, so that's why yeah, I came Thank you. Out. You, but, you but and I can, both. <laughs> exactly. Tell the guy who can just canceled Arizona, his plane tickets and his hotel reservation, Scott. Tell me about oh, why. it. why. That, that stinks. <laughs> Go I was going to say that uh, can Arizona protect home field because Texas just has not lost on the road in the playoffs. You know, they're what, 8-0 now, I believe, and, and uh, setting kinds of all kinds of records, 9-0, I think, actually. And so they're, they're setting records, and uh, I was right the first time, 8-0. It's just popping it out of my head here. Too much football to think about. But anyway, um, they go on the road, and they've got home field advantage, but really if they continue to do what they've done on the road, Texas, that would mean they would have to win just one uh, game at home to win the World Series. I'm not going to bet the series I'm just going to go game by game. I think if I had to bet the series, I would have to take Texas. Eovaldi's been incredible uh, this postseason. You got Montgomery. And what I like about Bruce Bochy, and we've seen it in, in you know, past years when he won World Series with the Giants, he is certainly not afraid to take you know, one of his top three starters and move him to the pen. So they're going to get an extra day rest out of Montgomery, who will probably go in game two, obviously, and then Eovaldi starting things off. But they'll move those guys to the pin for an inning, whatever they need to get the job done, and he's been pushing all the right buttons. But he went into Houston, swept those road games, which was crazy. Who expected Houston to lose all four home games of the ALCS? You didn't, I didn't. You know, and, and so anyway, I think there'll be a little bit too much. The, the advantage that Arizona has, you know, besides the fact that you got rookie of the year situation, you've also got uh, Cattell Marte, who can be incredible uh, in, in the postseason, is that Arizona does have the bullpen. And that's why I think you'll see Bochi messing around a little bit uh, with maybe a starter or two at times if he needs to for an inning uh, throughout this series. But Eovaldi and Montgomery, I think, are going to be too tough. And I just... I like a, a manager who has won a couple of World Series before when it comes to a World Series. And so, you know, there's not going to be any feeling of, oh, my gosh, you know, deer in the headlights because Bochi will, will settle that down. And I'm not saying Arizona is going to be that way. But, again, it's that situation of a leader who's been there before and won multiple World Series. But, yeah, I would lean towards Texas. As far as game one, haven't really jumped into it yet. It's kind of pricey, but I wouldn't be surprised if I end up on the Rangers. I'm, I'm a big fan of Eovaldi. He might end up being the postseason MVP by the time it's said and done. Yeah, 4-0 in the postseason. And then Zach Gallen. It's funny because both of these guys, like, say during the regular season or the, or the beginning of this season, you'd say, oh, Zach Gallen, he's going to be the Diamondbacks' ace. And you look at Eovaldi, and you're going to go, eh, not so much. I mean, this guy <laughs> hasn't been great throughout his career, but it's been flipped for the postseason where Gallon has had an ERA of, of over 5, 5.24, and has nearly just as many walks as he does strikeouts. He has not been good. And I know there's Diamondback fans out there and then people who remember Gallon from last year and even you know earlier on this year thinking, okay, he's going to flip the switch here and, he, and he's going to get good all of a sudden. But if we're going by 
what we've seen lately, you're right. It's all about Eovaldi over Gallon. Hence the, the line showcases that at minus 170. I think the Rangers bats showcase why it's minus yeah. 170 as well, too. But Scott, sure. I'm not about to get involved with either one of these teams because they're both unpredictable. I mean, Arizona could continue to ride this mojo. It doesn't matter if they're home or away. They just seem to get the job done. It's like a hot goalie in the NHL playoffs, man. And that's what they've become, you know, yeah. and it's, but you mentioned Gallon. I mean, if you look at his first two, Starts in the postseason, they weren't bad. You know, right. he gave up like four runs at 11 and a third. But those last two starts, he's given up five home runs at 11 innings, only five strikeouts with four walks, 14 hits allowed at 11 innings, and, and nine earned runs. So, and, I, and if you look back, back on in, in like his last start of August, he got shelled by the Dodgers. He gave up like six earned runs and four home runs in one game and like just over five innings. That was his last start of August. And if you look at him since then, uh, he's had, he went over a four game in six start stretch where he gave up four to six runs, earned runs per start. And none of those went a full six innings. And now he comes back here in October with his last two post season starts and he gives, he gets shelled for nine runs and in, in 11 innings. So I, I think, you know, there's just something not clicking right now for Gollin. And if I play this game, it's going to have to be the Texas Rangers. I trust their pitching at the start. It might even be, I know the price is going to be crazy. I might jump in first five with Texas in game one. All right, there you go. Scott Spritzer, DocSports.com. Go there, DocSports.com. Subscribe to Scott's Plays. Uh, doesn't matter sport. He's uh, dialed into all the above. And now we switch gears and we go to college football. What's on your mind here when we're looking at uh, this weekend's college football action? I know that the Georgia-Florida game always gets a lot of attention. The world's largest cocktail party. Oh, oh, I guess we can't say that anymore, right? Uh, just like we can't say <laughs> Red River shootout anymore. We can't do any of that stuff. We know Georgia is a 14-point favorite over Florida. Um, I'm not seeing a whole bunch of games that I'm overly uh, enthused about here on, on the college docket. Probably, Scott, keep it close to home here. The Rebels in Florida State, I'd rather Fresno State, right? Exactly. And, you know, it's funny. I was kind of, well, as first of all, I, I did win the Red River, Red River shootout, by the way, with Oklahoma. And yep. now I'll look to hopefully, I just got a few bucks. It's not a big play, but a few bucks in the uh, world's largest outdoor cocktail party. I got to say it, TC. Yes. Um, so anyway, uh, but I did back Georgia as a little pizza money type of bet. I, I, I had them against Kentucky a few weeks ago, everybody's talking about the Georgia Bulldogs not being at last year's level. Well, they're not. You know, they're probably about a seven point or seven and a half point underdog on a neutral field to last year's Georgia Bulldogs, but they still get the job done. And, you know, when they're laying 10 and a half to 21 points, they've covered nine of the last 10 and they win those games by 31 points per game. The caveat of this is that, and the reason I ended up not going with this with a personal service play, so to speak, or a big play monetarily is, of course, Bowers at tight end. You know, and I know a lot of times with Georgia, it's next man up. But Bowers is so big to this offense, both in blocking and receiving and red zone offense, uh, that it was a situation where I thought, eh, maybe I better hold it down a little bit. Not go as heavy on Georgia here as I did when they played Kentucky. And as far as that Fresno game, you know, that number came down a little bit. You had the quarterback for Fresno, who uh, Keen, who is listed as questionable. So the number dropped to 7.5 yesterday or a couple of nights ago. But, man, it's tough to go against UNLV. I mean, gosh, it's finally good to have a good co- a, a football coach in town, you know? Uh, Barry Odom did it well at Mizzou. He got shown the door. But I, you know what I like the most about this? UNLV got addition by subtraction with the coaching staff this offseason because they were going to hire 
Bobby Petrino as the OC. And you'll remember he was signing on yep. with Odom to be his offensive coordinator. Then he got an offer from Texas A&M, and he went there uh, to Texas A&M. And this is not knocking Bobby Petrino's skills as an offensive play caller. Odom's able to go out and get Brennan Marion as an OC, offensive coordinator, young guy. And he's been at a bunch of schools over the last few years, probably in his mid-30s. And he starts bringing in running this go-go offense, as he calls it. And they've been fantastic. And Mayava has reacted extremely well to it. Uh, he took over for Brumfield, and Mayava's 65% passer, eight yards per pass. So, boy, it's tough. To, I didn't make a play on this yet. I'm leaning UNLV. I want to hear a little bit more about Keene. Uh, forgot to check him in the last couple of hours to see if he's going to be able to play for Fresno. But Brendan Marion, I'm sitting there going, man, I don't like talking about this guy on radio because I don't want to put it out there that this guy's probably going to be a head coach in college football somewhere within three or four years. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to the NFL. And again, we will, we'll maybe break this down tomorrow or whatever, but the Oregon-Utah game, uh, a lot of uh, meaning in that. Uh, number eight team against number 13 team and the game's in Salt Lake. So uh, we'll touch on that uh, tomorrow. But I want to hit you with some NFL here, Scott. And we're looking at some some large favorites this weekend. Uh, when I say large favorites, teams that are you know uh, eight nine point favorites, and we got one of those in Buffalo tonight. That you know coming off a loss, uh, you go to the Monday night game. You've got the Lions, uh, basically an eight point favorite over the Raiders. Uh, same type of thing with the Chargers against the Bears, uh, where you know they're coming off a loss. Uh, we'll throw the Cowboys in there, even though they you know come off that bye and they. They didn't look great beating the Chargers, but they're a six-point favorite over the Rams. Uh, give me some thoughts on these teams. We're kind of back against the wall a little bit, coming off losses. Uh, are 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 some large favorites, but I just got a feeling that all of those I just mentioned have a great shot to cover. Yeah, I'm not going against any of them, TC. That's that's yeah. what's crazy is we got all these you know uh, lines that are north of seven, and yet I'm not going. To, you know, I'm not going to play every single one of them. I'm certainly not taking the underdog. I need a 5-0. I'm 63% at the Westgate Super Contest, and, nice. uh, and so I could use about a 15-0 run the next three weeks. So we're hoping to put that together because 63% of these contests uh, maybe gets you in the top 150. So i got to right. pick it into gear and go 15-0. But I'll start with the Lions since they're playing our, our uh, hometown Raiders here. You know, they got taken apart last week. This reminds me a little bit of the Buffalo setup tonight with Tampa Bay. you got a team that played a bad game. They got beat up. And now they're going to look to beat up a heavily inferior opponent. Listen, NFC teams that have faced Lamar Jackson for the first time have been annihilated. Horrible record. It's like one in 16 or something crazy like that. And so, you know, as far as Detroit's concerned, I give them a pass for that game against Lamar and company. Baltimore might win it all this year, but this Raiders team dead last running the football. Detroit can pay extra attention necessary to the wideouts. And it's not like Vegas is doing well through the air. They've, they've topped 17 points just once this season. They average 16 points a game. Uh, the Lions have blasted mediocre or worse opponents. Vegas falls into that category. They're 4-0 and against weak opposition, and they win those games by 15 points per game. Real quick note to end this on, uh, the, the, the Lions, under Campbell, they're 6-0 and against the spread at home, winning by 13 points per game off a game where they allowed at least 35 points. Campbell's able to right the ship in a real hurry. It's like, throw that film out, get back to business, and they go on and they win, and they win by more than two touchdowns a game. And I think you know, a 14-, 15-point win here is probably in the cards for Detroit. All right, I'm with you. I, I, I agree with you uh, with, with all that. Um, when you look at those other games that, that we mentioned, the ones that are, are north of seven, anything else that you think you're going to get involved with? As far as north of seven, I got the two, obviously, tonight, as we mentioned, with Buffalo and Detroit 
on Monday night. I'm going. I probably should play the Chargers here. TC, I'm I'm zero three with the Chargers this uh, year. It's like I, I know. Just dump it it's Brandon Staley, right? You're like me. You can't play that guy. I don't. You know. I, I can't play that guy anymore. Oh, and, drives, I think I'm one and three. I've used right. it four times. I'm one and three out of their six games, and I just got to jump off ship. I mean, I just do. So I, I think they blow out Chicago. Um, but I'm going to stay away from that game for sure. That's a game I will not get involved in. And believe it or not, I, I don't know if I'm going to jump on this one, but I lean Denver over KC this week. And I just don't know if I can pull the trigger there. I mean, listen, I think a better play might be the first half. Check out Russell Wilson's number in the first half of games this year. He might still be first or second in the league when it comes to like some of the metrics that we normally talk about in the first half. And then the offense drops off a cliff in the final two quarters. So I might jump on Denver before it's all said and done here. And if I do, it would be taking the four points in the first half. He is Scott Spritzer, DocSports.com, our guy. Scott, I appreciate you big time. So we start with Fishbone. We go out with the P-Funk, brother. That's what we're doing here. I got to love it, TC. Good luck this weekend. You too, brother. All right, we got World Series, college football, NFL. We're going to be talking all about that in Mo tomorrow at the Westgate. So join myself, Marco D'Angelo, Jay Cornegay, Jay Schrader, the quarterback, joins us. Today, again, I want to thank Scott Spritzer for joining us, handicapping it all. Barry Odom, the UNLV head coach. Good luck to the Rebels as they go on to Fresno. Big Mount West Conference game. Maybe conference championship written all over that for the winner there. Also, TJ Reeves giving us a live report, the Bucks sideline reporter for tonight's game between Tampa Bay and Buffalo. For Numchuck TC saying, Nasta la vista, baby. Don't forget, you miss any part of the show, go to the website, check it all out at tcmartinshow.com. We'll catch you tomorrow at 2. Everybody's got a little light under the sun, under the sun, under the sun.